hello everyone out there in um, our land of the film round table. Uh, this is a live event. We're coming at you today from on a Sunday from different parts uh, of the world. We're glad that you could join in with us. Um, also, for those of you that can't make it, as we always know now, the podcast has become a very popular thing to get back and get into. Um, so we've got a very a, a wonderful episode today with two cinematographers who have segued into the world of directing and probably bounce a little bit back and forth still. Um, we've got Andre Parekh with us here as well, coming from, are you in New York right now? Where are you, my friend? New York City. New York, New York, New York City. There we go. Um, happy to be here. And we have uh, Ellen Curris coming to us. Ellen, where are you right now? I'm in New York as well. Okay, so Alan's them. in New York. I'm, I'm, I'm the lone wolf out here in Los Angeles. Um, and thank you everyone in the Film Roundtable community for coming together for this. Um, as everybody knows, uh, we all came together as filmmakers to kind of, um, you know, during the time of COVID to just kind of get together and keep the conversation going about what it is that we do and how that we do it. And um, we ended up getting a lot of people who just came in, uh, up and coming filmmakers who were really interested in the way that we talked about the teamwork aspect of filmmaking and the way that we de demystified the process of filmmaking. And so one thing that we always wanna keep a connection to is the fact that we did start during the times of COVID um, and that uh, you know, we always acknowledge that as we talk about the, uh, you know, where we are. So one of the ways that we do this is that we you know, talk about where we are with the numbers. Um, so this is an important thing so that we don't forget and then we will lead ourselves into a moment of silence. But as of currently worldwide, we are at 1.34 million worldwide deaths. And as of this morning, 256,000 of those were in the United States alone. Um, so please, if everyone, if we could, let's just please join me in a moment of silence before we get started. Thank you, everyone. That means a lot to not just ourselves, but to all of the people that uh, follow us within the film roundtable world. Um, so the transition uh, to becoming a director from a DP, one would think that, you know, that we are littered with uh, lots of these people that have made this successful transition, but it's not necessarily the truth. It's not an easy handoff to make. Um, and you know, one of the things we've always talked about here at the roundtable is how there is no direct line, no matter what line, position you're in or job that you have in the filmmaking community, everyone has kind of taken a different way to get there. And Ellen, one of the things I, I know about you is that you've wanted to be a director for a very long time. Um, and why don't you just give us a little bit of a backstory on your roots from cinematography to sitting in the director's chair? Well, I actually didn't start out as a cinematographer. You know, I started out as a filmmaker. I wanted to be a filmmaker who made films. And um, back in the mid eighties, uh, I started making a film, which was part of a thesis project because I was taking some classes at NYU at night. And I thought that I would get my master's on the side while I was doing some work in New York. 
And um, so I started making this film as a director. And, um, you know, I, it was a very small film. I had very little money and I hired a cinematographer um, at the you know, recommendation of some friends of mine who happened to be a commercial DP, very nice guy. We sat and we talked about, you know, the kind of ideas that I had and that I wanted to, to try and capture. And then we went to film for four days on my little meager sum of money that I had. And I was kind of, I was in a place where I wanted to do documentary and fiction. I wanted to try and merge the two and see where they intersected. So in the spirit of the truth. So it wasn't docudrama, but I wanted to dramatize certain scenes. So um, when we, and we were shooting on film, of course, this is a long time ago. And when I got the dailies back and I was looking at them on the Steam Deck, I was like, there was something missing. You know, there's a, they were really beautifully shot, but it was like, I, I just didn't feel like there was something that was missing. And I thought, you know, I don't know what that is. So I took the camera myself to try and figure that out. And ultimately what that was, was, you know, I was trying to search for meaning. I was trying to create story with the camera. And I realized that by taking the camera myself, it's about visual metaphor and that you're trying to take the camera and there's a reason for where you put the camera. There's a reason for the kind of lenses you use. There's a reason for the kind of light that you choose. And so I started experimenting with the camera and that's ultimately how I segue into cinematography because people started seeing what I was shooting and they said, oh, will you shoot for me? You know, they said, oh, I really love what you're doing. Can you shoot for me? So I started shooting for other people and I started working as a cinematographer and, and that's how, you know, uh, you know, I kept on working on that film, you know, in the background, but then I kind of exploded and became a cinematographer. So cut to many years later and maybe 35 films later, you know, and I had never given up on that film because I couldn't tell the story I wanted to tell. I couldn't get the archival I wanted to, to get. It was a film about Laos. Laos was a communist country. It was closed off to the Western world. Finally, it opened up and I was able to go back to do it again. So after 20 years, I said, I really need to finish this film because all during that time, people had asked me again and again, whether I was doing commercials or whatever I was doing, you know, when are you going to start to direct? When are you going to start to direct? And part of that, I think, is the way that I would approach, you know, the material is, you know, was with the mind of a director and looking for meaning and trying to create meaning. So it wasn't until uh, 2006 when I went back to do the film that I said, all right, I'll try to start directing after I finish this film. I didn't want to start to do anything else until I finished that film and, and you know, completed that thought. So that's what I did. And in 2008, it premiered at Sundance and then I was nominated for the Academy Award and I won the Emmy. And it goes to show you that even if you start a thesis project, you know, you can finish it, even if it's years later. <laughs> but that's sort of, I gave myself permission after that to then go into directing, you know, full force and to explore what that was, as scary as it was. Because, you know, and we can talk about this later, but that was my trajectory to getting to the director's chair. I mean, it was a scary place, you know, it's, it's, it's a, when you think about, you know, being comfortable being a cinematographer and being a DP for many years where the director is the one who is 
calling the shots, so to speak. And I mean, I was always very much involved in blocking and, and, and the idea of where the camera goes and the meaning of the camera. But, but you know, there's one, it's a whole other thing about being in the front and, and actually, you know, being the person who's leading the charge. Don't you think, Andre? I think we lost, we lost Doug. <laughs> so you're up. <laughs> Maybe I'll pick up where, where you left off. Um, so what was, it, what was the original question? The original question is, how did you segue from being a cinematographer to directing? So, like Ellen, uh, I was at NYU grad school, um, late 90s. Everyone had to direct, and I started, you know, started shooting because I realized that there was probably going to be, you know, there was going to be three directors out of 36 that were going to direct after school and that I needed to figure out a way to make money and live. And it's something that I really started to enjoy. I ended up shooting like 50 short films in film school, had a directed thesis, uh, you know, screwed up a lot of people's projects, experimenting, and um, then came out as a, as a DP and worked as a DP forever. And then I was shooting Succession with Adam McKay and the opportunity came up uh, for me to direct an episode of Succession. And then I directed, um, same thing happened on Watchmen. I shot the pilot for Watchmen and then they, HBO allowed me to direct an episode. And now they've created a monster. So now I'm, you know, I'm still going back and forth between the two. I think they're very, I love them both. They're very different professions. Uh, I'm starting another HBO show tomorrow. Uh, it's a remake of the Bergman's Scenes from a Marriage, uh, working as DP, and I'm super excited to do it. And for me, it's really not about directing or DPing, it's just being involved. It's about filmmaking, and it's being involved in great projects, working on great things. I'm yeah. so happy to do either. I don't really have a, I don't have an ego in terms of, you know, I just want to, I just want to be doing good work and working on great projects with great people. And that's, um, you know, the other thing about directing is that you don't get to do it enough, I feel. Mm. Uh, and DPing, I think at the level that you are, Ellen, and you know, I'm almost there, but you know, we get to work a lot, which is really nice. Um, so that's how Wait, I- So I have a question for you because my, uh, you know, before I started doing episodic, I was shooting direct DPing and directing commercials. And then I was ultimately directing and had a DP with me. But when my first episodic thing, my first dramatic piece that I did was, was on um, uh, a show called Falling Water. And uh -huh. they had called me to be the DP for the pilot. And there was just no way. I just didn't have enough time. And, but you know, we talked a lot about the ideas and they said, oh, can we have dinner and pick your brain? And I said, sure. You know, so we had dinner and they picked my brain about all these ideas and everything. And not only the look of it, but the whole show. And then six months later, they asked me to direct two episodes. And I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, I was scared as hell. But so my question for you is when the first day of directing, right? From what was that like for you when you were not the DP, you were suddenly the director and you're the one who had to kind of tell everybody what to do? Was What was going on in your head? 
you know, it's, I think it's terrifying, right? It's terrifying to suddenly, you know, the thing is as a DP, you become quite comfortable in hiding behind the lens and having the camera sort of between you and the world. That's, you know, that's, yes. a DP that's always been, uh, I think that's why I started shooting in the first place was because I had no vocabulary to talk to actors at all. I just didn't know how to talk to them. I, you know, they still puzzle me terribly, but I just had, I had no vocabulary and I didn't know how to speak to them. I didn't know their language. Uh, and so hiding from behind the camera became my way of sort of, it was my way of making films, not necessarily, you know, and always being, I think very open, being a director's DP, you know, I think for me performance was always the, was primal, like primary. I would allow bad lighting if great performance happened. You know, I wouldn't, like that for me is like, there's no question between great acting and great lighting, great acting, right? Like there's, there's no question in my mind as DP. Um, but yeah, the first day was terrifying and, and you suddenly are very exposed as a director. You know, you're, you're now in a world of nuance where I feel like as a DP, it's a little bit more black and kind of black and white in terms of, I mean, of course, like, what is beautiful to you or, you know, what, what is your taste about? But it's, you know, when it's suddenly not about creating an image as, as opposed to dealing with human beings that are actors, uh, it's, it was a little terrifying, especially with, you know, like Brian Cox, uh, who will tear you a new one if you fuck, you know, if you don't know, like if you don't have an answer, right? Just, not, you know, just like mm -hmm. a very high level, a very demanding <clears throat> actor. And, you know, thankfully, amazing actors, all of them in succession. Uh, so it was like lightly steering a really nice sports car, right? You just like, just turn it just a little bit this way and it goes, you know, just like it rides beautifully. Um, but it didn't, you know, DP, like directing didn't feel that far away. I would say directing episodic doesn't feel that far away from, from DPing to me. Because it's really just about camera placements, right? which we've been doing as DPs forever. Oftentimes in episodic, you feel like the, the writer definitely knows more than you. The showrunner knows way more than you. The actors know more than you. You know, you're just there as a kind of like glorified cruise, cruise ship director to sort of like just make sure everything goes smoothly and you make your days, right? Um, That's funny. <laughs> well, I, I do think that, you know, it's, you know, they, it is a strange place to come into when the actors have been living through all of these episodes and suddenly you come in and you're doing episode eight or nine and they've lived through this whole life with yeah. each other and with the, you know, through the whole drama and with other directors and all of a sudden you come in and and it's it's weird. It's almost like you're coming and you're being invited into the party yet everybody's been partying all night and suddenly you're at the door and you're like, um, hi. <laughs> and you kind of get your drink and you sit down, you know, but, but it's, you know, I found too making the transition. The hardest thing for me too was learning the language of actors because as a DP, we're not privy to that. You know, occasionally you do, if you work with a director who screams it out, you know, but oftentimes 
you know, we're not present at rehearsals, not dramatic rehearsals often. It would be a rehearsal just for camera or something like that. And, um, you know, and, and, and beyond that, I think that, you know, specific directions and, and, and I was never trained as a director, you know, nor was I really trained as a DP either because the classes I took in NYU were about film theory, you know, or the classes I took at Brown would, weren't even to do with film. You know, but but the you know the I you know how do you direct it? What's a specific direction? What's a specific word of action that enables them to understand what you're trying to get to? Because it's like I know where I want to take them. It's just being able to explain how to get there, and at that I find you know because a lot of actors will have gone through numerous workshops or they've gone to school or they've gone to musical theater department school or you know whatever it is and there's lots of ways that they do the rehearsals they enact with each other there's ways to you know they learn the language and so I would say that that's been the biggest um, learning curve for me is is about that are we still recording I think it's yeah I think we're still I think Doug is I don't know Maybe he's gone for a drink at the Sunset Tower bar, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so I, you know, and I can see in your work, it's really interesting how you think as a, as a DP, you know, having followed your work for a long time. And of course, seeing what you did with, with, um, with Adam in the first two episodes, you know, the pilot in the first two episodes of Succession. I mean, when I first saw those, I was like, they are fucking beautiful. And you can see, you know, how precise you guys were. And you can see how, you know, very much uh, in sync you were about the ideas, about how important the backdrop was going to be, how important, you know, the style of the shooting was going to be. And so you can see already how your mind works behind the camera, you know, whether you're behind the camera or not. And so then when I saw your episodes as a director, you know, it was a continuation of that. So it was really interesting to see that. Yeah, it was, it was a tremendous amount of fun. And the thing about Succession was that we kind of set out to make it like film theater, right? And you'd always have like, you'd have new cast members come on and they would ask like, when is my close up?" And you'd be like, well, we already shot it. <laughs> And, you know, we just like kind of smiled and <laughs> just like, sorry, this is not about you. This is about everyone. As yeah, a the right? yeah. Like, yes. this, is, this is how this game is going to be played. Like, we're not going to just like give you your close up, you know, your moments. You are as important off camera, quote unquote, off camera as you are on camera, because, you know, the show is all about reactions and it's all about, you know, that's what it became about in the, in the edit, I think. And, you know, I always told mm -hmm. the when we started like imagine that we have this one camera position or this camera is going to tell the whole scene right i want you to get and we had you know shooting with big zooms and like let's make this about you know try to capture the whole thing in in one shot right yeah. and uh you know move the camera like always you know operate with one eye on the eyepiece the other eye open like looking around you know for for what's happening in the world because when you're in that close-up you can't see right who's next to the other actor and I don't know, it became a really, and then it, and then it, now it feels very organic to the show, but I think it would, took a while to get there. Um, 
you know, it was a great, like, you know, Adam McKay wanted to shoot it. You know, he gave me uh, United, what is it? United 93 as a, as one possible. Um, look. Yeah, one possible look. 92, 93? You uh, know, no, United, no, United 93 that. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're very much in the moment. I was like, this is intense and insane. And I was trying to get him to just kind of like pull it into something more, a little bit more elegant and stately, which I think hopefully yeah. is what we up with the show. It still has a kind of very organic feel. Hold on. I have someone, someone has raised their hand. I guess I have to call oh, Are you, are you the... I think I'm, I think I'm bullying. You want to, you want to drive this thing? Uh, no, you we can do it both. Uh, okay. So question and answers. When working as a DP, did you think of editing? And as a director, do you prefer shooting for coverage or thinking of the editing as you shoot it? Uh, I always think of the editing. Uh, as a DP, I always think of what the cuts are going to be or what the possible cuts are. I always think about what the coverage needs to be and what coverage we can get, which is a bonus. I mean, because part of making your day is in function of how much coverage you get as well. So always thinking about the editing and always thinking about how the scene's gonna be cut when you're designing the shot for the scene. So that's why it's really important. And I'm sure you agree with this, um, Andre, is that is, you know, prep is so important. I mean, I never go into a scene as a DP or never go into a scene as a director without having shot listed the scene. If, if, if I don't do that beforehand um, and I don't have a game plan, I, don't, my, I, I need to have my mind's eye in a direction and I need to be able to see the scene unfold in my head. So I've already shot it in my head before I even get to the, to the set. And I think you agree with that, right? On. I agree, like always, you know, every movie, that I've shot have always shot listed. You know, I think it's important to have gone through that exercise. I may never look at the shot list when I'm on set, right? But right. I've already thought it through and there is a plan A and when it all goes to shit and the day is falling apart, it's really helpful to have that piece of paper. Yes. Because <laughs> then you're like, shit, how many more shots do I have? Do I really have to fuck? That was like, oh fuck, I forgot that piece of coverage. And then you have to go back and tell the aging. No, I really need another setup that's not the martini, you know, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah. So let's see what the other the other questions are here. I'll read, I'll read this one. And then I you can when you come in after a few episodes have been shot on a TV series, is it is it a relief that someone has already made decisions about the style of the series, or would you prefer to be the first director, the one who sets the tone? Uh, you can go first on that one. Well, I've only really directed four TV shows and I shot the pilots of them, except for, I guess, Brave New World was already sort of had its look when we, when we both, Bill and I both did Brave New World last year uh, in London. And then the, at this time last year, we were both in Wales. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> it was cold. It was dark cold. and rainy. It was terrible. Um, yeah, it was really hard. It was really hard shooting there because the, the, they didn't really have great 
uh, film studios. Well, we had a couple of film studios that are real film studios, Dragon, which were great. But then because London was so busy, that's why we had to go to Wales. And then we had to use some abandoned warehouses as our sets, which were really freezing. And, yeah. um, you know, yeah. I mean, Wales is absolutely stunningly beautiful. There's tons of history there. We were shooting on the heaths overseeing the sea where there were medieval castles that were sitting on the embankment. And, you know, of course I got into the history of the place and, you know, found out that the, the Welsh never gave in to the Romans and the Romans were, you know, stuck, you know, on the seacoast. And, you know, it took 500 years before the Normans were able to come and, and implant themselves. And, you know, I mean, it's fascinating, but, you know, cold, in November and December and rainy and um, so so well, she, we ended up re repairing to the sauna after we would wrap every night <laughs> because there two units going. Um, it was also funny because it was we're shooting a super future show and the whole like the sets were leaking right and you suddenly had like, <laughs> like we're shooting in this like garbage can studio with these super futuristic sets um, it was kind of funny but so let's see, and back to this question. I mean, I, I, uh, I mean, it's always nice to set the look and tone, of course. And I haven't, oh, I guess Brave New World was different for us, but uh, it feels like you can sort of put in your 15% or 25, 20% of, as a director and, you know, kind of, you know, you're always pushing the boundaries and the limits. Uh, oftentimes the, the DP that's on already has the sort of look in mind. Uh, but how has it been for, like for you, Ellen, working with other directors? Hold on, I'm gonna make. Um, you mean working with other directors as a DP? Working as, with other DPs as a director. Wow. Well, you know, an episodic, I know it's, uh, it's interesting that you know there's a certain kind of a look that may be established it really depends because every director and every cinematographer kind of puts their spin on it i think so even on brave new world you know i was i had a swedish dp uh carl sundberg who was fantastic and mm -hmm. so we you know we decided we were going to take a little bit of a different approach than you know was established in the pilot right. and so you know, we were able to shape that and keep it, you know, keep the same idea and that the fact that it felt like it was in the same series, but it was kind of our own singular look. And I think that's true for, you know, every time you come to a series, you know, and you're working with a DP, every DP has a certain kind of perspective. I mean, that's what gives them their unique perspective or not going according to formulaic kinds of ideas, other than, you know, the DP may have established a certain look, may have established a certain kind of contrast ratio. But even right. then, you know, you can depart from that a little bit, you know, and people do. So, but, you know, I think starting it from the get-go, you know, the showrunner in Episodic is, is a very strong component of the whole idea moving forward, you know. So, so the idea that you're able to work with that person and establish a certain look and a certain tone and cast certain people is, is I think it's really exciting. And, you know, but more and more now casting and even more now because of COVID, but 
even before COVID, I mean, I've been on series where I had to cast, you know, principal actors, important actors all on tape where I was not able to meet them in person. Which, I was like, when am I, when I'm going to, when am I going to be able to do callbacks? And they're like, you can't do callbacks. It's right. all on tape. And I'm like, what? You know, I had to cast in Legion. I had to cast, you know, there was a baby, but then there was a four-year-old, a six-year-old, and I think a nine-year-old, 10-year-old, 15-year-old, and they all were important. And the 15-year-old and 10-year-old had lines as important lines. And, but I had to cast them all from tape and, from, I just couldn't wrap my head around that because I'm a movie person. You know, I come from movies. You know, there's something about, you know, meeting people in, in person and you get a certain feeling from people when you see them in person versus when they're on tape, you know? So I have to say in Umbrella Academy, they always did callbacks. When we were in Toronto, we would always make time, whether if we had to rap or Saturday, whatever, we would always make time that we would do callbacks in person. And I think it pays off, you know. Uh, so, Doug, did we lose you? I, um, Are you back? You, guys, you hear me? I'm going to try and stay away from video because I think if I'm just audio, then you guys can at least hear me because my, you guys have done an amazing job at taking over the baton since I'm having technical difficulties. <laughs> Well, we, we know each other and we like each other and we like hanging out. So it's a hangout. It, it's almost better. It's so natural. I, I went to the, ended up jumping onto YouTube to try and keep track of what you guys were doing. And it was just like a natural conversation. <laughs> oh, so and I'm like, why would I come on right now and muddy it up? But I did. <laughs> Welcome no, back. No, no. We, we're, we're wondering what's our next question or does somebody have questions? And first I want to do a shout out to Carol Kusadonis. Do you know Carol? Who says that she's listening? Carol's an amazing producer working with Park Pictures. Cool. Carol, I love you. I think um, I, I don't want to muddy it up. If Ellen, do you mind reading the questions as they come in? Because I think we're getting some good ones. Uh, sure. Let me look at our chat. Let's see. Yes. Okay. Do you have more questions? Okay. How's your relationship with Carol? changed over time that's cool with, my, with the other camera people yeah there's one that there's one question how has your relationship with camera operators changed over time uh oh have you um uh you know it's interesting because when i first started um doing episodic um i come from the movie world as you do and in those days you know the DP is the one who talks to the operators, not, not the director. You know, it's, it's rare in movies, there's a certain hierarchy. So when I came in as a director, I made it a point not to talk to the operators. You know, I was like very, very respectful to the DP. So I always would go through the DP always, you know, to talk to the operators and you know, because I know how that would feel. It'd just be like, you know, the DP's there and all of a sudden the director is going across me talking to the operators. I know that would frustrate me as a DP. So I was like, I'm not going to do that to somebody else. So I made a real point and, and a real effort to do that. And I find now, you know, I'm working on a series right now, a Netflix series in New York. Um, we have two new DPs after we began in COVID. Um, we started last year in January prepping 
And uh, I was in the middle of my episode. Um, I was doing two episodes and I was in the middle of my episodes in March when we shut down. Oof. So we shut down until mid. Yeah, it was a big, it was, and I mean, all of us were sitting in a room. We had just finished huge courtroom scenes with lots of extras everywhere. And we went to this other location where we were on in a, you know, midtown office building and the entire floor was filled with, with, you know, you know, background workers. And suddenly all of us, because the news reports had been coming in that Thursday, suddenly all of us looked around at each other and were like, oh my God, we are in a Petri dish. And the producer who's fantastic, Kathy Sarek, wonderful producer. I would work with her on anything. She cares about the crew. She cares about what everybody's doing. She brought us all together and she was like, okay, this is a situation I'm not comfortable you know, with everybody being here and what's going on. So anyway, we ended up shutting down the next day and we picked up again in mid-August, starting to, um, you know, cautiously move into prep and then we started shooting again. And so there were two new DPs who came on board. So we had to prep all anew. You know, we had to think about tech scouting again and they changed the whole structure of how we were shooting. So no longer was it by episode, but then it was by um, by okay. locations, right? Because they could control the locations. We started on on set. So by this time, you know, all, everybody came back together again. We were like a big family. You know, it was like, oh my god, you know, when, you know, the last time I saw you, you know, it was the last day before we went into lockdown, <laughs> and everybody kind of went through this, you know, this. I mean, as everyone knows, this time warp. You know, this real mind bending time. And so we all felt very familiar. I mean, obviously the DPs, the new DPs had to get on board, but so George was one of the, was the A camera operator, you know, George and I had a real shorthand. So now I'm talking to George all the time, you know, and knowing that, you know, Tim Norman, who I've been working with who's a DP, Tim knows that we have that thing going and I'll go like, Tim, I'm gonna to talk to George, okay? And then I talk to George, I'm like, George, you know, <laughs> You know, Pan left George, you know, <laughs> you know, so I don't mind having that. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's a very, you know, facile relationship where we care about each other and we embrace each other. And it's not a power struggle. It's a, not a hierarchy thing. You know, Tim and I are on the same page. I'm on the same page with the guys. And so, you know, it works really well. We have a really good time. It becomes a creative discussion rather than some sort of power struggle. Yeah, for me and operators, it's, uh, you know, when you find the great operators, it's so nice. I mean, you you operate a lot of the movies you've shot right on. Always. Yeah, and I've always operated movies that I've shot. And, you know, it's, it, I think it's hard to explain instincts to someone, right? Yeah. It's, it's like the toughest thing to do is to to communicate an instinct because it's the, it's the moment that something's happening that you're reacting, right? Yeah. And if the person is thinking about it, they're not reacting, right? So it's, I always found it very difficult to work with, uh, with new operators, or then if you, you know, when you do and they're, they surprise you with, uh, when they surprise you, I think it's always really nice. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, you know, operating, it's, it's a tough thing, I think, as a DP to sort of let go of. Um, yeah. 
you know, it's interesting about that too, what you're saying. I mean, it's very much instinctual, but also I find that I, I find I'm teaching a lot on set. I'm teaching the operators about how to think about, you know, the shots as, as, a, as storytelling, as metaphors. You know, it's like how they frame certain things or what, how they set things up, you know. So, I, you know, George, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm explaining to him the reasons for how, why something is uh, a certain focal length or why we want to pull back, you know, or why we don't want to be so tight in here because we want to tell a certain kind of story. And so it's, it's been it's been an interesting experience in that way. And because he really wants to know, and so does the B camera, but they want to know, you know, if I say, oh, we'll just pan over a little bit and tilt up a little bit, I'll explain to him why, what my thinking is, you know, rather than it being just an arbitrary subjective thing, um, that's just my taste, there's a reason for it. So there's a reason for every shot that you take, there's a reason for every decision that you make on set, um, that it, it, it all has meaning to it. It's not arbitrary. It's just not going after the cool shot. I mean, you could go after the cool shot and that may make it into the edit, but you know, there are times when, when you're trying to set something up and tell that story that you know, the way that you frame it is important. Where you put the camera is important. And you know that because you totally get that. I see that in all of the stuff that you do. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I think again, it's where are you watching a, the scene from? And it's interesting now working with other DPs uh, as director to sort of, you know, I, I'll walk into a room when there's a, when we're rehearsing something and I know where, it was always important for me to know, to like have the director watch the blocking from where I thought the camera should go. Because they would, oh, that, like if, to, if, if they didn't do that, the camera was not going there, right? Where, where you start, yeah you know, uh, the blocking and a blocking rehearsal is really, really, like it changes everything. So I would always make sure that the, the director, I was like, can we watch it from over here? And you know, kind of, you know, or, or have the actors do it again if the director wanted to watch from some other place. But so now I'm always very, you know, conscious with DPs, you know, where they were, where they want to watch the scene from and I'm very happy to listen to them um because it's also nice for me working with other dps where you see that people do it you, they do things differently like i never get a chance to watch other dps work right until yeah yeah me either and, uh, you know part of me is always like you're doing it wrong which then you have to <laughs> you have to kind of like pull back and just wait for you know watch someone's process unfold and i love being surprised when it turns out really beautiful or you know where you think it was going in one direction and suddenly it went somewhere else. And I don't know. So I'm, I always love being surprised on set. That's for sure. Um, yeah. And the life, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can get very specific about certain things, you know, it's about the point of view, you know, what's the point of view of the scene, what's the point of view of the camera, you know? So sometimes, yeah, like they, you know, they'd be able to say, can I audition this over here? And I'll be like, all right, let's go. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay, show me, you know, I mean, without being judgmental, yeah. you know, so. 
Uh, okay, so let's I, go to another let me question. Let say one thing, if you guys can hear me. I find it fascinating listening to the both of you talk about this because clearly, you know, it's almost like when someone speaks a foreign language, right? They will, as a second language, they will translate in their mind as they hear something in Spanish or English. You guys translate in a way as cinematographers. You are visual, at, even in your directing sphere, you are visually looking at what your background has brought you to versus you know, a lot of directors who don't have that kind of background and might just be looking at something, okay, how, what's the actor, what's his intent? It's interesting, you bring another layer, both of you to this, which is understanding the visual medium, which is how we tell the story and how the actors tell it through the lens. So it's fascinating with your background to hear you talk about how you bring that into the direct. And I think we brought, you know, the directing into the DP, you know, yes. and vice versa. Well, that, I mean, that's why the transition for both of us was, 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 uh, you know, smoother than other people. I mean, I know in the past, other DPs have tried to make the, tra the transition and they haven't been able to do it, you know, so, you know, and it's for various reasons, but, but I, I find that, you know, I, I, I think that one informs the other. Do you think, Andre? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. For me, they're not they're not separated, separable, at all. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, you got more questions? Should we do more questions? Yeah, there was a question for you, Ellen. Ellen, can you talk a little about the experience directing an episode of Legion, with the intricate shots involved, and also working with Polly Morgan? So Legion was uh, Legion was a challenge because uh, you know the look of it had been set up by Dana Rodriguez and and I was just in love with what he had done in the very beginning with um, he set up these the kind of story of the character of Legion and I just love the way he had set that up it was so beautiful and so. Um, you know, I knew when I was given my episode and it was, I was only directing one, one episode of it, which I was really happy because I was able to really concentrate on that story. And it was of the background of one of the characters backstory. So I knew, you know, going back, I, I thought that we have to keep the visuals in the same sensibility. You know, they're, they're, they have to have the same kind of, of roundness and sensibility and, so when I met Polly, you know, it was really great to be able to, you know, have a young woman cinematographer to work with and, uh, you know, somebody who was really open to ideas. And so we shot listed a lot. That was really, really important to me because we had a very abbreviated amount of time. And so we talked a lot about the different ideas about what we wanted to do. And it was a really big challenge for her to be able to, you know, to bring the level of the shooting up in a very short amount of time. I mean, the, the lighting is very stylized. We had scenes that were in this igloo, which was super difficult. I mean, I, I you know, me as a DP looking at those, at that situation, I thought, oh my God, you know, how do you even begin to like that? You know, the snowstorms, um, being able to use the crane. And when we were using the crane through the snowstorm to, you know, follow the, or to lead the character as he was going to the igloo, you know, the the crane kept on chattering, 
And I knew that she was really frustrated by that. And I was, I, you know, I mean, I was a director where I wasn't about to start screaming at the DP. Why is it chattering? I was like, how can I help you? You know, <laughs> because, you know, those kind of technical um, uh, challenges were, you know, there were a lot. And, you know, intricate shots, um, you know, Noah had set up uh, the language of that series to be very, very highly stylized. And, and so it's like, how do we tell the story, be very highly stylized and be able to make our taste? So, you know, it was, we tried to support each other as much as we could through that because it was, you know, I felt like we were always running, you know, to try and catch up and, and you know, get it to be a point where it was really stylized to be able to get, you know, get the drama down. Um, What's another question? Next Does question. That answer the question? Well, let me just expand upon that before you get to the next one, because there is a question that relates to, obviously when you guys work as DPs and you're talking about stylized genres, that comes with a very specific idea in your mindset of how you want to pull those visuals off. As a director in stylized genres, what do you, how, how do you think about that? And what do you bring to a, a genre as a director that's different than you would as a DP? Mm. That's tough. I mean, I feel, uh... you know, for me, cinema is interesting because it's an exploration of human beings and behavior, right? So I'm always trying to find a, to place the camera where it's kind of a study of a person. Um, I don't think it would change regardless of the genre that I worked in. Uh, maybe like Watchmen was a little bit more stylized because of how it was lit, but you're still looking for the same things out of, out of actors, which is truth and performance, uh, you know, poetry, nuance. I don't know. I, I, I don't think I, again, I, I don't think I can separate those things. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I don't think you can because the ideas, how you approach the ideas as a director, you know, are intricately you know, interwoven with what what the genre is and what the style is. I mean, you're thinking along, you know, how do you create the language of this particular film? That's that's kind of the language of the way it looks, the language of how the actors are acting, you know, in are they, is it mannered? Is it stylized how they're acting? You know, what what are the tropes what are, what is the language of this particular piece and i think you know as a director you start thinking in terms of those ideas to keep it consistent so yeah. you know i mean it all has to do with the story and the story that you want to tell yeah it's all i mean it's all storytelling right it's just being faithful to the story and to the script yeah that's the way to look at it story it, it, it's about the story and what drives the story that's uh you know it feels like, Ellen, we both have, uh, I think, great respect for script and script writing, but then also finding an interpretation of that script visually as DPs and now directors. Um, and that's why I feel like the, our 
what we've been doing hasn't isn't that much that you have a different title like yeah. I still, i'm doing the same kind of work you know maybe i'm not calling lighting units uh and i'm not as maybe as technical and maybe you know the, it's very comfortable for me to be the dp uh it's very uncomfortable for me to be the director or it's you know something that i'm getting more and more used to but you know, and I love them both and they both work very different sides of me and different sides of my personality. Um, you know, I was always able to hide behind the camera as I was telling Ellen before and directing you suddenly have to answer everyone's questions. Um, so it becomes an exercise in patience. Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I think that I'm more comfortable now as a, in the director's chair to the point where I look at a light and I'm like, what do you guys call that? <laughs> you know, because the light and everything has changed so much, yeah. you know, and it's changing every single day. And, you know, they'll come in with some new, you know, really flat, light, light, lightweight light that changes a zillion colors. And, you know, and I'm looking, I'm just watching them bring it in. And then, you know, I'm doing my work and I look up and I was like, oh my God. You know, if I had had that light back way back when, you know what I mean? It's like the stuff I could have done is like, what do you call that guy? You know, oh, what are you doing there? You know, what kind of head is that? You know, just on the side, it just sort of occurs to me. I think like I should know that, you know, but, you know, it's, 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 I, I, I really am so glad that, you know, being on set, you know, and being with our, our friends and our colleagues and, you know, the fact that we're able to do that, that now in this time of COVID is really a blessing. You know, there's so many people who aren't able to work and, you know, be able to do that and to be safe. And, you know, every single day it's a challenge. I mean, we, we were talking right before we came on and you're about to ready to start a film and, you know, it, it's, it takes one person, you know, turning up positive on set. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're into two weeks of quarantine of everybody. So, you know, our lives right now are hanging on the thread and hopefully that everybody is responsible. And we have a lot of people involved on our Netflix set. And I have to say, you know, it's like a lot of us have been in a bubble. You know, we, we want to maintain this, you know, being able to work together. So... I know I haven't been hanging out. I know I haven't seen a lot of friends. I, I feel like I've been sequestered, but but it's the way to go. You know, it's 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 where we are right now, and it's what we have to do. Yeah. Um. So let's see what other questions. Doug, do you want to ask questions? Or do you want us to read them? Have you ever directed an episodic episode where someone in the cast did not want to listen to your direction, and how did you manage that? Um, you know, you, I think you always get pushed back no matter what, you know, actors come in and they have very specific ideas. Uh, you know, if someone doesn't want to do something, they're not going to do it. Like, and then you sort of have to work your way around it. Mm -hmm. I oftentimes, I found great, uh, see, you know, I, I found that using a scene partner was a really that's my way to sort of direct actors is using the scene partner oftentimes. Using a scene what? The, the scene partner. Oh. Like, a, a two -handed. like I'm I oftentimes talk to 
the quote unquote off camera person as much as I talk to the on camera person uh, mm. to try to pull a performance out. Uh, because you know it is, uh, it's an interaction between two people and you can't just expect one person to do, to do it when the other person's not giving them something or when they're giving them the wrong thing. Uh, right. So I, I really found great use of the off camera, you know, the off camera. Um, I think it's also helpful that uh, I have an 11 year old daughter in terms of being able to try and manipulate someone into doing something that you don't, that they may not want to. <laughs> and and, uh, and because that's, that's kind of what you're doing as a director, you're just, you're trying to get behavior out of someone, right? And how do you do it? You have to, sometimes you've got to, very carefully manipulate that person, you know, not in a kind of Machiavellian way, but you've got to, you've got to pull something out of someone and sometimes asking them for it is not the best way of getting it. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, I'll let that person get it out of their system Yeah, and we'll do it a few takes to do it the way that they are feeling it and that they've, you know, they've rehearsed it in their head a million times and that they can get it out so that they can feel like they've explored it. And then I'll say, okay, let's try it this way. You know, let's try, let's do another one and let's try it this way. I want, you know, let's bring you closer to that place. Just so that it feels like, cause I know that sometimes actors, you know, they, 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 it's like this, this kernel in them and they've got to get it out. You know, they, they have that feeling and they, they have to, say the words and they have to feel it in a certain way or they have to cry their way out of it, you know? And sometimes, you know, you know that the scene shouldn't have any tears in it, but that person is just, you know, wants to cry. So I'll do it so that just let them cry and then let them get it out of their system and be like, okay, now, now we want to do it this way. So, you know, it's like, it's like you're saying, you know, there's all different avenues and ways of doing it and it depends on the actor and it depends on you know how they prepare and how they come to set and it depends on the scene and the other person that's involved in it so there's never really one answer for it you know it's it's always you know it's always changeable and I think that's a really big difference between being a director and being a DP because it's like you're saying you know being a DP you can hide behind that if you feel like shit that morning and you go to set you know, as a DP, you know, you can feel like shit behind the camera, you know, but if you're the director, you're on. I mean, you, you know, <laughs> you know, the, the actors, you have to be very present for them. And, you know, it's, it's a different thing. You know, there's a certain vulnerability that you have as an, as an, I feel as a director, because I choose to be present there. I don't choose to just, you know, tell somebody to do something in Twitter turn away and walk away and go back to the monitor, you know, I'm very much engaged, very much invested in them as well. So, you know, and that challenge, I think of finding the right way to say something, the right words to sort of be exact as you can about the kind of action or reaction that you want is the most challenging, you know, is as intelligent as you can be. It's always like, I'm always looking for the right way of being able to describe it. And it's like, you know, it's a giant trust exercise between you and the actors. Right? And it's very important that they trust you, 
they feel protected by you, that they feel um, that you're going to take care of them and, you know, and hopefully sort of guide them the right way. Yeah. Uh, okay, more questions. How do your DP background reflect in the way you prep a job? I think we talked about that. You know, scrupulous prep, lots of prep. Lots, thorough. Lots, lots of lots of prep. Yeah. It's like doing your homework. Always. Time never comes back. And if you haven't done it, like, and you start shooting, that's it. Like you're. Yeah. I agree completely. You both have worked in different genres. From Legion or Watchmen to Wormwood or Succession, how do you manage to jump from one genre to the other? I think we answered that one, right? Yep. Story. Okay, here's one for you. You started out on Succession as a second unit director. How do you feel this prepped you to move on to direct first unit? Uh, that's not correct. I started, um, I did some second unit work after I directed my episode. So, um, you know, they needed help and I was super happy to come and do it. So that's what I did. Um, yeah. Here's one for you. What do you think are some reasons why DP might not be a suitable director? <laughs> um, uh, somebody who's an egomaniac, although we find that sometimes works, but, you know, I find that... You know, you don't have to be an asshole to be good. That's kind of yeah. the bottom line of one thing. But um, I think, you know, some DPs are only into the shots, getting cool shots. And I think that that's, you know, and they're not thinking about, you know, sure. what's the subtext of the script. They're not thinking about story, you know, and, and they're only thinking about, you know, the light or the, you know, where the camera, or, you know, the camera or the lenses, or, you know, it's just, it's, it's when you're not thinking about it as a tool to, you know, tell stories or you're not thinking about point of view, you know, you're just thinking about shots, cool shots, then, then you really have to start thinking differently, you know, like we, I mean, this whole discussion has been talking about that, about, you know, how to, how to create meaning with the camera, with how you're directing the actors, with the blocking. I mean, it, 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 all, it, it all says something. The blocking has very much to do with what the meaning of the scene is. I mean, the actors are just not standing in space. They're not just there for, you know, you just go like, oh, well, stand over there. There's a reason for why they're there. And, and so that, you know, the script will tell you, the story will tell you, you know, where it makes sense to put people and, and how they should move through the space if they are. I mean, that's the thing that I also learn is if I let the actors decide the blocking, I'll never make my day. I always have a very clear idea in my mind where everybody's going, what they're doing. And, you know, and, and so I'm like, okay, I think, you know, let's start with you here and you'll go over here. But I remember last season on on um, on Umbrella Academy, and by that time everybody knows everybody. It's the second season. We love each other. You know, everybody comes in, and I had this one big cute scene with the entire cast, and I thought, you know what? I already knew where I where I wanted everybody to go, 
I had already plotted it out and floor planned. I already knew all of the coverage was going to be. I knew exactly what I wanted to do with the cameras, everything. Right. And I thought, well, let me, let me let them see where they go. Right. (laughs) It was so funny. I was like, all right, you guys, you know, you're coming out of the elevator. All bets are off. You can go where you, your character thinks it can go. Right. But they didn't want to go. Right. It was a bloody mess. I called action. They all come out. It's like they had no idea where they wanted to go. It was really funny, you know, and we all laughed about it. And I was like, all right, okay, let's cut. All right, you're going over here. You're going to do it just like I thought we were going to do. So, you know, in a way it was like, all right, <laughs> I'm not going to leave you to your, on your own, like a bunch of, you know, kids. So, and, you know, I think they like knowing because when they're trying to get the words out in the beginning, it's they like to know where they should go. You know, because they're not, they're seeing it from the inside. They're not seeing it from the outside like we are. It's also one last thing for them to think about, right? When you help them with the blocking. Right. Um, and we have fun, you know, uh, that was the whole thing about eternal sunshine, you know, which everybody, you know, talks about eternal sunshine, but really the, the key and to eternal sunshine was the fact that we had, no marks on that set. There was actually, I lied, there was one mark. And we had one mark and that was for the dolly. The one day we had the dolly. Because we, we had to get this overhead and we had to be a pull up of, of Jim. And the other time that I did the handheld overhead, watching him cry on the phone, I, it was a four minute take and I almost dropped the camera on his face because you know, that's the hardest thing to do is to hold the camera looking down. And I swear to God, oh. Carla Garrow, who was the AC at that time, is holding me up so I don't drop the camera on his face. And he and he was in this emotional moment. So it's like, you're not going to drop the camera on the actor when he's in the middle of the not, not going right. to happen. So, but anyway, so we, it was all about the choreography of the actors and the camera. So it became this, you know, kind of fun game for us with, you know, Chris Noor was the other camera and I didn't call us A and B cameras, so to speak. I was just like, we're two equal cameras. We're getting the both pieces of coverage are equally important, right? So, so we made it a game and, you know, we were moving all the times. Like, so we'd be in the, in the room and I would say to Chris, okay, you pick up Jim coming in and I'll pick up Kate coming in. And then when he crosses over that way, you pick up Jim and I'll walk over here and get Kate. And so I can get the over the shoulder over here. So you won't be able to see me if you pick him up and then you move over this way and then I'll move in there. And then we would do the whole scene that way. So and we would just do the scene as it was one take deal. Cause you know, I started thinking about, let's just do every scene as a one take deal. And, and then pick up our coverage in between. So so we had a lot of fun. We froze our asses off, but you know we, we had a lot of fun on that shoot. <laughs> uh, Chris was the DP on Succession that I directed. Oh, he was. Oh, great. So sweet. Yeah, he's uh, a great guy. We met each other on Bamboozled, talking about operators. So, you know, I had to find an, an operator that, you know, who would work with me um, using these mini DV cameras, which of course I knew very little about at the time, you know, and, you know, trying to 
focus. I mean, I learned my lesson afterwards, but you know, we had these little amateur cameras. They were the, uh, uh, was it the PD-150? It was the VS-1 or something. I can't remember. I mean, literally tape, mini DV tapes, right? And, you know, the lenses are basically plastic. They're not even, you know, so if you go wide angle, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. You know, so it's finding somebody who would be game to be on that movie with me. And then it wasn't until, and then that started a whole relationship with, with Chris. So Chris Knorr, you know, Carlos Guerra, you know, and Carlos I've worked with for many years. So that whole team came to Eternal Sunshine. And that's the other thing I would say is that, you know, as a DP, you have your family of crew that you work with. I mean, I worked with the same crew for many, many years. You know, they were, they're my family. You know, I... Yes, I mean, it's, it's so great when you don't have to speak to each other, right? Yeah. Just yeah. Know, when you don't have to... The communication just happens just from them understanding your taste. I think that's when you've kind of achieved something with the crew. You know, yeah. it's so nice not to have to speak, you know, to explain. Right? Uh, someone I just asked a question, do you ever feel lonelier on a set as a director? You have camaraderie with your department, but as a director, do you find yourself put on a pedestal that people are intimidated by? Uh, I, mean, I mean, for me, no, because I don't act like a prima donna. You know, I don't act like I'm on a, a pedestal. You know, I'm constantly joking around with everybody, you know, the PAs and everybody. And the camera crew, you know, there's the second AC, I'm constantly teasing and, you know, so no, but, but it is, you know, it can be at times, it depends on the show. I mean, you know, I'm living in New York, so I know a lot of the crew people, but when you go to a new show and you're in a, in a you know, a whole new situation, it, it can be alienating because, because you're the so-called guest. So, you know, like everybody is the same on the crew, the production designer, the camera crews, the operators and everybody, they've been working all together and you're the new person, you're the new kid on the block. And it's like I was saying in the very beginning, it's kind of like they've been partying all night. You come in you know, and you're like, um, okay. hi, can I, can I come and sit next to you? And, you know, can I have a drink? And you know, then, you know, that's, that's the hardest time, I think, until you get to know people. Um, yeah, for me, it was, you know, I think it's just about making the set an open experience for people and not sort of just not being an asshole. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you know, you're not an asshole. But you, can, you know, you can isolate yourself by just being not nice, right? You can, yeah. you can very quickly become persona non grata on a crew by, by, I imagine by just not behaving. But I think it also like, as DPs, we understand what the crew is going through. We spend a lot of time with the crew. So I think it's also makes that, mm -hmm. it makes that sort of, I think, you know, I'm closer to the crew than I am with the cast oftentimes. Um, yeah. But that's also where I'm comfortable. So. Yeah, no, I understand that totally. There's just, yeah, I become the same, you know. Let's see, any other, we're out of question. <laughs> Doug, 
Uh, yeah, I think that we answered all the questions. Doug, do you have any questions for us? No, you guys have you guys have done a great job during this technical problem of taking the reins amongst that. This is why you guys are both DPs who become directors because there you guys can't be phased. You're like, let's just you're, let's just go and answer all these questions. So no, you guys, this was great. And um, really appreciate you guys coming here and sharing your knowledge and your backstory um, with everyone because it, it, it's been very insightful. And you know, and, and that's the thing, like we always say, there is no direct route. Everyone has their own different journey of how they got there. So it's always very interesting to have people who've succeeded to the level that you two have to explain the path and how you've gotten there. Because I think it's great for young filmmakers to always understand like, you know, this is, this is a process and we all look back after many years and you know, talk about how we got there, but there is no one who could have written out a recipe for you know, that journey. So we thank you so much for coming on and giving us your backstory and sharing your experiences with us. This has been great, both of you, seriously. Thank you. You know, and the moral of that story is, you know, like I said, you don't have to be a, you know, a jerk to be good. So, and it takes, it takes a lot of work, you know? I mean, it's, you know, a lot of prep, a lot of thinking, you, you have to do your homework. And you have to love it. I think that's the most important thing, you know? Mm. You, you have it's to true. love it. It's a big commitment. You have, to, yeah. you have to love it. If you're not doing it for the right reasons, you're not gonna be doing it for long, you know? Mm. Um, you know, we're in this kind of crazy circus, right? We're just like circus people. We are we're roadies. <laughs> That's a great way to look at it. We're, we're, I think more we than are. just roadies, we're actually carnies. Yeah, we're, we're, carnies. we're total carnies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you both for coming here. And uh, we really appreciate it. You guys, uh, you know, we'll hopefully have either one of you or both of you again anytime. This has been a wonderful experience, both of you. Thank you so much. Right. Thanks. Thanks. Say hello to Chivo, Doug. I will. I'll tell everyone hello. Guys, enjoy your, your weekend and all of you that came out to listen to us live and send in your questions. Thank you so much. And uh, please, those, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's get back on podcasts and catch this episode because, you know, on, you know, both of them had a lot of knowledge to share. So thank you, everyone. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. All right. Bye, Bye, everybody. Bye. Goodbye.